my teammates and I were forced to undress in the presence of Leah, a six foot four tall biological male, fully intact with male genitalia, 18 times per week. Some girls opted to change in bathroom stalls and others used the family bathroom to avoid this. When we tried to voice our concerns to the athletic department, we were told that Leah's swimming and being in our locker room was a non-negotiable and we were offered psychological services to attempt to re-educate us to become comfortable with the idea of undressing in front of a male. To sum up the university's response, we, the women, were the problem, not the victims. We were expected to conform, to move over, and shut up. Our feelings didn't matter. The university was gaslighting and fear-mongering women to validate the feelings and identity of a male. All right, that's the voice of Paula Scanlon, and of course, uh, you probably figured out from that clip that she swam uh, at, I think, University of Pennsylvania, where Leah Thomas, uh, who was a guy, Leah Thomas is a man, very big man, as she described, who was not a successful swimmer as a man, so he decided to identify as a woman, and then he started winning every, every race in all the championships, and the girls who had spent their lives training got nothing, and, and Paula was one of those, but she's describing the personal trauma of what they had to go through in the dressing rooms. It's shocking, and it's the reality of where we live right now. And that's why it's important to bring to you today's show where we're going to talk about a hearing that just took place on Capitol Hill addressing this very thing with fascinating testimony that I'm going to play parts of that you won't want to miss. But first of all, of course, uh, we you know what? It's, a, it's kind of a fr- refreshing to me, just just hear the truth, and you're going to hear truth from the testimony. But then this reminds me of preborn, the truth about the sanctity of human life, the truth about the fact that when a mom, however distressing it is, however terrible the circumstances, when a mom sees her baby as a result of an ultrasound, she generally, almost always, most of them cannot bring themselves to terminate that life. Uh, because it's truth. That little picture is a picture of truth. That's a baby. It's her baby. And so when they see that little baby, uh, more than half of them say, I can't, I can't do this. And uh, that's what we've been doing now for months is supporting preborn so that they can provide ultrasounds. It's just $28 for one. And when you do that, chances are you're saving the life of a baby. Some choose not to go, not to, to go ahead and go through the abortion for sure. The other thing that Preborn does though is they taught they use the opportunity of this crisis in a girl's life to tell her about God, about forgiveness, about Jesus, all of that. That's it's a really a mission too, and so I that's why I'm, I'm so grateful that they sponsor us, and that's why I'm grateful to be able to tell you about that, and I'm grateful to you for being so generous and giving so freely to preborn. So if you haven't done it, or if you'd, still, if you'd like to make another um, um, offering to them, just go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Well, coming up next is one of my favorite persons in D.C. Um, she was in the court, she was in, not the courtroom, uh, but the hearing room. With this hearing took place. And she's going to tell us about it, so stay tuned for this edition of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. 
that we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. The so-called gender-affirming care is anything but affirming and caring, and the language matters. This is adults deciding to permanently alter the bodies of children who do not have the capacity to make like life-altering decisions on their own. And here's some more plain truth that everybody acknowledged until about 15 minutes ago. It's been plainly observed and fully respected by every culture for all of recorded history. Sex isn't something you are assigned at birth. It is a natural prenatal development that occurs when every unborn child is in the mother's womb. No one can surgically free themselves from this objective and obvious fact of life or free anyone else from it. But today, we see adults inflicting unspeakable harms on helpless children to affirm the adults' own worldview, that gender is somehow fluid, that sex can be surgically altered, that there are no lasting consequences of all this madness as a result of the sex change procedures. What is even more alarming is that the central tenet of the transgender movement and its allies is to exclude parents as much as possible from making decisions about the health of their own children. Medical professionals and in schools increasingly see parents as, quote, transphobic bullies who must be prevented from standing in the way of the medical sexual transition of their own kids. Sandy Rios with you on Sandy Rios 24-7. Well, we've been covering uh, the IRS whistleblowers, the FBI whistleblowers, uh, Devin Archer uh, testifying behind closed doors for Congress. Congress uh, is doing some great work exposing the malfeasance of the left. But I did not want you to miss a hearing that took place recently that didn't get as much press. It just didn't. It never does. Probably never will. Uh, it was that was the voice of Congressman Mike Johnson from Louisiana, who's just been wonderful since he's been serving in Congress. I appreciate just about everything he does. The title of this hearing was "The Dangers and Due Process Violations of Gender Affirming Care for Children." Now you're going to hear today some of the testimony we heard from a little girl who a little girl. Sorry, well, from my perspective, uh, she's probably 19. Uh, about her change. We're going to talk here uh, from a swimmer uh, who swam with Leah uh, Thomas and talks about what it was like to be in a, a dressing room with Leah and what it was like as a swimmer. Uh, we're going to talk about a doctor. Or ta- or we're going to hear from a doctor who is, uh, what does he call himself? Queer affirming, uh, who does these surgeries. And he's pretty excited about it. He recruits. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting mix of people that you're going to hear from. But someone who was in that room, uh, and I've asked to join us this morning, is Sarah Marshall Perry. Sarah is a senior legal fellow at the Institute for Constitutional Government at Heritage. Uh, And uh, I've known Sarah for a long time. I have to say, before I even let her talk here, I've known her for years. We've worked together in other coalitions. She was at Family Research Council before this. I've always been impressed with her intellect, her articulation. (laughs) And then I found out she's Janet Parshall's daughter, who I've known for years, but did not know that. I just think that's funny. And so, Sarah, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me, Sandy. 
Do people ever when you when you uh, okay? I'm I'm really out of the loop. I can't believe I didn't know that. So when you introduce yourself, do people just seem to know that already about you? Do they talk about it or ask you questions? You know, it's interesting because um, it usually takes a face-to-face meeting with people when they can sort of see my mannerisms and they can take a look at me and they can hear my voice up close where they immediately make the connection. In fact, um, she just spoke at Emmanuel Bible Church this past Sunday, and uh, I took a bunch of friends to go listen to her speak. And it was funny because in sort of perfect syncopation, the entire group of heritage folks that had gone with me turned and said at the same time, you two are so much like each other. So usually (laughs) it takes sort of a face-to-face, and then, you know, sort of all bets are off. Well, I have to say, and then we're going to jump right in, I promise. I have to say that most of the time, uh, the apple does far, fall far from the tree. Very seldom, uh, boy, this is a, uh, this statement will get me in trouble, but very seldom do children of people who are so capable and well-known arise to that same level. It just often, it just doesn't usually happen, or they are a lesser version. And that's not true of you, Sarah. I see all of the, the wit and intellect of your mom and, I, and your father, too. So um, that I just had to say. All right. Okay, so tell me, I'm guessing Heritage has been all over this issue of uh, gender uh, change and uh, all of that. And and it's interesting, Sarah, because it didn't used to be that way with Heritage. Heritage used to really avoid the social issues. They were more, you know, policy and economics and all of that. So uh, how did this particular hearing uh, come about? So, you know, it's interesting. The House Judiciary Committee, uh, under the leadership of the Republicans, of course, because they have the lower chamber, they don't have the upper chamber in the Senate, which is a little discouraging because it indicates that there's only so much that can conceivably get done in Congress until we see what happens in the 2024 elections. I will say that the GOP um, House Judiciary Committee has been really instrumental in bringing some of these issues to light, cultural issues issues that have legal implications. And this is why I was so impressed by the hearing. You know, the hearing obviously was titled Due Process Violations. Well, for people who don't follow constitutional law, and I'm, you know, sort of steeped in that from a day-to-day basis, that term due process is sort of shorthand for where the Supreme Court has taken the parental right from the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, and something called substantive due process. It has since 1923, so now we're looking at over a 100 years of jurisprudence. The Supreme Court has said, listen, the Supreme, the Constitution doesn't say anything explicitly about parents' rights, but we recognize this as a fundamental liberty interest, and in fact, an interest that the founders would have designed the Constitution to protect because it, of course, stems from natural law. You and I understand, Sandy, that the children that God gives to us are the children that we are to parent and steward and care for and tend to, and that is a big part of sort of what the Supreme Court has held to be a fundamental right on the part of parents. So here in this hearing, we had this clash of, okay, our parents' rights being violated by these particular bans that we're seeing across the states, and now there are over 20 of them, state to state. These states have said no gender-affirming care, I'm using air quotes here, 
for anyone under the age of 18. It's in the best interest to wait and see what develops. So the House Judiciary Committee held this hearing to sort of see and ask questions on where this notion of gender identity procedures stacks up against parental rights. All right, so um, did you feel that they, okay, we're going to do a broad question here, then we'll get into the nuts and bolts. Did you feel like they covered it sufficiently? Did you feel like you, after sitting through that hearing, you came in with knowledge, but did you feel like it was something that was uh, worthwhile and a teaching moment for a lot of people? You know, I wish I had I had heard a little bit more about the constitutional implications and what the court has done. And there was a, a an attorney, a young attorney from Independent Women's Voice, um, and she sort of got a couple of words in right at the end of the hearing. So she got about five minutes to talk about a lot of these legal implications. But for many respects, there was Paula Scanlon, who, of course, is a former University of Pennsylvania swimmer who swam with Leah Thomas. Uh, there was Chloe Cole, who actually is a detransitioner, who went through a voluntary mastectomy at the age of 14 and has now decided this was a huge mistake, realized that she was just going through some discomfort that is associated with normal puberty. Those were big, compelling stories. Um, those were the stories that we heard most. But one of the reasons that I've been writing sort of this constitutional take is I think it's important not to forget exactly what the Supreme Court has said and hasn't said on the notion of parents' rights. So I would really like to have heard more on sort of the constitutional implications and whether or not the Supreme Court is likely to uphold these state bans or strike them down, because I think that's something that's going to make a significant difference in how aggressive we see the left being in overturning these bans. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Sarah, I should I want to say, and I will say, that you ju- did write an article for the Daily Signal. By the way, you guys have been banned from the White House uh, press briefings, right? Or is it, is it yeah, we isn't it have. the Daily? <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, that Lucas, shows who is um, <laughs> who has been a, a White House press reporter forever uh, has had his press credentials revoked under a technical a technicality having to do with time frame and sort of appropriate procedures for getting those renewed. It is pretextual, Sandy. We're actually not surprised, but we're going to continue to make a stink about it. Listen, it, it's very clear to me that this administration, and when he ran, President Biden ran on the most transparent administration <laughs> in history. That was his yes, he did. Also, <laughs> yes, as a parenthetical, he also claimed that he was the Democratic Party of modern Well, we've seen anything but moderation. We've seen not only taxpayer funding for abortion through every avenue, whether it's through the DOD or the Veterans Administration or an interpretation of federal law, we have seen the suspension of constitutional rights in times of crisis like COVID. And then we've also seen from the outset this push that has, I think, superseded all other cultural issues, and that is the push for transgender acceptance and mainstreaming from this administration. And it began with the first executive order coming from this administration on January 21st, 2021, and he has not backed off since then. You know, I think uh, you're right. Uh, The one thing, there's so much to say about this, I 
The one thing I would say, uh, Sarah, is I do think people are getting sick of it, and that's why we're seeing school board meetings being populated. People are getting sick of this. I think even just generally the culture is kind of getting sick of this stuff being a uh, push at them. But that doesn't mean we're going to be able to stop it because the levers of power are really still held by these people that are just insane when it comes to this. Yeah. They're so irrational. I'll just, let me just drop in. This is Gerald Nadler, you know, that, that uh, bastion of wisdom, uh, jumped in to say a few yeah. words about this. <laughs> and I thought we'd just give people a taste of uh, what the other side is thinking about this. This is Jerry Nadler, clip three. In my three decades in Congress, I have taken part in plenty of hearings where I did not agree with the choice of topic, to say the least. But I am absolutely disgusted by the Republican majority's bullying, bigoted framing of an issue that would otherwise be worthy of serious discussion. What we are witnessing today is nothing less than a taxpayer-funded platform for congressional Republicans to bully transgender kids who are already some of the most vulnerable members of our community. So there you have it. Uh, there you have it, Sarah. Well, that committee, uh, that all that testimony was to bully transgender kids. I'll let you to respond to that. <laughs> well, you know, you really you have to laugh when Jerry Nadler opens his mouth. I've actually testified in front of him twice. And, uh, you know, he's known for histrionics and for going to the most extreme ends of the spectrum when it comes to justifications for his rationale. This has nothing to do with bullying. In fact, it has everything to do with care and sort of careful oversight, the wisdom of psychological intervention, waiting and seeing the importance of counseling, and a state's rights to be able to make sure that the most vulnerable members of its society, those young children, those minors under the age of 18, who may be suffering with gender dysphoria, are in fact able to protect them from the industry that is operating not only at uh, an absolutely rocket pace, but is also profiteering off the voluntary mastectomies and the mutilation and the pharmaceutical interventions for minors who were dealing with these comorbid mental health diagnoses. Listen, puberty is a uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable time for everyone. I don't think any of us look back on that period of, you know, 12 to 17 or 12 to 18 and go, gosh, that was a good period of my life. You know, it's acne and it's sort of body dysfunction and it's not fitting in your clothes and it's sometimes unwanted attention from the opposite opposite sex or no attention from the opposite sex. <laughs> it's never a comfortable period of time. And I listened to Paula Scanlon, I listened to Chloe Cole, and to hear Chloe Cole talk about, listen, I was just uncomfortable with all of the attention that I was getting from boys. I developed very quickly, and I wanted to fly under the radar. I got along with my brother. I got along with his friends. I was a tomboy, and I thought maybe that's the answer. Those are the kids that need extra special protection. Those are the kids that we need to take to counselors, to therapists, to psychiatrists, and say, let's unpack this. What's yeah. underneath this? In fact, in 2019, the NIH published a study indicating that as many as 58% of individuals who express gender dysphoria have an undiagnosed 
comorbid mental health diagnosis, anywhere from bipolar disorder to schizophrenia to a personality disorder to autism. These are not insignificant numbers. So for Jerry Nadler to say that it's bullying, it makes me wonder exactly what he would say care and stewardship looks like for these minors who have mental health issues. All right, so here he is on the platform saying this is disgusting and you're bullying transgender kids. And then we hear uh, from Chloe Cole. And I want to replay just a little bit of what she said, Sarah, so people can get, uh, you know, I actually think maybe um, if you have small children, uh, this is probably not the best show for them to listen to. If they're a little older and they're dealing with this in school or they're aware of it, that's, that's probably a good thing to let them listen. But I'm just telling you, we're going to, some things that are discussed may not, may be beyond the scope of your small children. So uh, this is uh, Chloe Cole, who transitioned, and she's, I believe, 19 now. So let's listen. This is clip six. Another way to put that would be, I used to believe that I was born the wrong body. And the adults in my life, whom I trusted, affirmed my belief. And this caused me lifelong, irreversible harm. I speak to you today as a victim of one of the biggest medical scandals in the history of the United States of America. I speak to you in the hope that you will have the courage to bring the scandal to an end and ensure that other vulnerable teenagers, children, and young adults don't go through what I went through. At the age of 12, I began to experience what my medical team would later diagnose as gender dysphoria. I was well into an early puberty, and I was very uncomfortable with the changes that were happening to my body. I was, intimida- I was intimidated by male attention, and when I told my parents that I felt like a boy, in retrospect, all I meant was that I hated puberty, that I wanted this newfound sexual attention to go away, that I looked up to my brothers a little bit more than I did to my sisters. I came out as transgender in a letter I sent on the dining room table. My parents were immediately concerned. They felt like they needed to get outside help from medical professionals, but this proved to be a mistake. It immediately set our entire family down a path of ideologically motivated deceit and coercion. The gender specialist I was taken to, taken to see, told my parents that I needed to be put on puberty-blocking drugs right away. They asked my parents a simple question. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living transgender son? The choice was enough for my parents to let their guard down, and in retrospect, I can't blame them. This was the moment that we all became victims of so-called gender-affirming care. I was fast-tracked onto puberty blockers and then testosterone. The resulting menopausal-like hot flashes made focusing on school impossible. I still get joint pains and weird pops in my back, but they were far worse when I was on the blockers. A month later, when I was 13, I had my first testosterone injection. It's caused permanent changes to my body. My voice will forever be deeper, my jawline sharper, my nose longer, my bone structure um, permanently masculinized, my Adam's apple more prominent, my fertility unknown. I look in the mirror sometimes and I feel like a monster. Wow, (laughs) Sarah, even though I heard that and I'm sure that just... That is so upsetting. And so uh, this is what we're seeing across the country. In fact, some lawsuits have been brought now against doctors performing these things. And I don't know who else, maybe some of the teachers and school officials, because this is like this is standard fare in public schools. This is what they do with these kids. And they're not allowed to tell the parents. Uh, They will actually, in some cases, as far as I understand, Sarah, give uh, hormone blockers without informing the parents. Is that am I wrong about that? 
No, you're not wrong. And in fact, we see it worse in some states um, than others. For example, Washington State and California, both of which have passed sanctuary laws, which allow children from other states who have parents that are not affirming of their gender identity to come to the state and get the gender-affirming care that they seek. Those particular states, likewise, are hiding during public school instruction, whether or not those children from in-state or out-of-state are using different pronouns, if they are using different bathrooms, if they seek to be identified by a different name, if they have assumed another gender identity. This is where we're going to see the clash of parental rights. On the one hand, Sandy, we've seen a whole bunch of lawsuits brought by the ACLU on behalf of parents of minor children who claim to want gender-affirming care for their minor children. On the other hand, we have parents suing school boards for saying, how dare you keep this information from me? This goes precisely to my child's mental health, and it's something about which I would be very concerned. So you've seen, obviously, on both sides, which is why I have told quite a number of people that if I sort of had to prognosticate and to see where this is going, I would say that it was ultimately headed for the Supreme Court, that the Supreme Court will have to determine what, in fact, a parent's rights look like. What are the parameters, the boundaries of that right when butting up against this new science, this pseudoscience of gender identity, something about which the entire medical community is not only not settled, but from which the entire portion of Western Europe has backed off. England, France, Finland, Norway, Sweden, they have significantly backed off. And in fact, England's only gender clinic, the Tavistock Clinic, was bankrupted by multiple lawsuits and malpractice claims. I do think we are headed to that precise same situation here in the United States. And for my part, it cannot come soon enough. Well, really. uh, And, you know, I have to say um, longevity gives me perspective here because the first time I heard about this happening, the same thing but different, was in Massachusetts. And it was probably back in the 90s. You know, they were on the forefront of gay marriage and so was Vermont and and, um, homosexual... uh, initiatives at the time they started with that now we're at transgender but even even the 90s sarah vermont had a group called outright vermont and they were encouraging people to come out of course if they were homosexual but they were also i will never forget they held a seminar to show middle middle school girls how to have their healthy breasts removed well that's like old hat to us now but i'm telling you they were doing that back in the late 90s and the second thing is, um, this was the beginning of the loss of parental rights. I remember there was a, you won't remember probably because you were probably still in school, but uh, there was a young dad uh, in Massachusetts. I, I actually wrote about this uh, way back. Uh, he wasn't political at all. He had a five-year-old child in kindergarten. He went to a school board meeting because he saw what they were teaching about, you know, Heather has two mommies and all this stuff. And he spoke at the school board meeting. Now, this is a long time ago, Sarah. Uh, he didn't. Ha- he had no. Nobody else was with him. There wasn't a huge crowd, uh, but he's challenging them. He said, "This is my five-year-old daughter, or little boy. It was. I, I don't want him to know about this stuff yet. What are you doing? It was just news to him and shocking. They actually arrested him and put him in jail. 
I'll never forget mm. that. And so the fight began there from my perspective, Sarah, but the fight for um, to remove parental rights from children started with the UN and with Hillary Clinton. Uh, so I this I'll just finish my sentence and then I want to go back to the hearing. Uh, Hillary was lobbying, you know, for children to have the right to sexual uh, activity at twelve. That they should have the right to choose uh, to be sexually active, and the and also uh, if they didn't want to go to church, they shouldn't have to. This was a UN conference on the rights of children or something like that. So this whole move to take kids away from their parents has been happening for a long time. But what I haven't asked you yet, and I want to say that your article, The Constitution and Gender Affirming and Gender Affirming Care Don't Mix, I don't know where the, what the Supreme Court has decided so far on this. So tell us, where are we with that? Well, what they've determined is, yes, there is a fundamental right to parent one's own children. Yes, it is inclusive of the right to educate one's children and to direct their health care. But here's critically what it has not said. It has not said that that includes the right to get experimental, risky, and dangerous medical care simply because you might believe that it's in the best interest of your child. And in fact, the federal circuits on this are not all in alignment. You know, some of the Democrats during the House Judiciary hearing tried to paint this as uniformity among the federal appellate circuits. I will tell you, the Sixth Circuit just determined that Tennessee's ban on gender-affirming care for minors could stay in place. The Eleventh Circuit is up next. Based on some previous case law of theirs, I anticipate they, too, will uphold Florida's ban on that precise same thing. So there is no right to get dangerous experimental care for your minors. And, in fact, it is not only in a state's interest to protect those minors from dangerous care, it includes the fact that the Supreme Court very, very recently has recognized that fundamental right as being limited within certain contexts. Now, a little bit of court history at the appellate level in the year 2000, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal, which a lot of people call sort of the mini Supreme Court. It is the federal court that is in the shadow of the Supreme Court. And many cases that come out of the D.C. Circuit go on to the Supreme Court. On a panel that included the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that court determined that a parent could not get experimental treatment for his minor daughter, even though she was in need of life-saving care. That is how limited it was. When Mm. the balance of equities was weighed, it was the medicine over the parent's right because in that instance, the doctors knew better. What it's going to come down to for us, Sandy, is making sure that the right science is out there. Absolutely. And I think we're kind of doing, I think we're actually making some ground. Not enough, but I think we're making it. I want to uh, play one more clip. Um, There's so much to say about this. There was a, at the beginning of the hearing, uh, there was a clip played of a Dr. Blair Peters who performs these surgeries. One of the clips that I saw of him, Sarah, I, I just feel I cannot play, but basically he was not publicly. I just don't think it can, I can play it over the air. But he was talking about um, the things he does uh, down below on kids, young kids, and making the point that they had never been sexually active and how tricky it is to get all that right because they're creating things and doing away with things and it, it is so graphic and upsetting but this is not that clip 
But that's what I, uh, that's one thing I've heard him say. And now he's, he boasts because this is his big deal to do these surgeries. His name is Dr. Blair Peters, and I want to just uh, give the audience a taste of him and what he has to say. This is clip one. I would just say they're expanding in either direction. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of adolescents um, presenting for surgical intervention, but also a lot of people that are like in their 70s sometimes coming in for genital surgery and then everything in between. Um, but the, the adolescents for sure present some unique challenges. Um, obviously, there's great evidence supporting pubertal suppression for a whole variety of benefits. Um, but the one thing that is very new is genital surgery in someone that has underwent pubertal suppression. Um, not so much an issue in um, someone with assigned female at birth anatomy that undergoes a phalloplasty because we're creating something with a you know, free tissue transfer or a flap anyway, but a much bigger issue for an individual that's undergoing a penile inversion vaginoplasty. Um, because we use all of that tissue to basically create vulva as well as line the internal vaginal canal. And as a specialty, um, those of us that do a fairly high volume of genital gender affirming surgery, you know, we've maybe done a couple, a handful of pubertally suppressed adolescents as a field and no one's published on it yet. Um, OHSU is, we're just putting our first series together as we're kind of learning and figuring out what works. Um, but it's really changing things um, because you don't have enough tissue to line the vaginal canal. So you either have to take a skin graft or take skin from elsewhere or use some artificial product. Um, the way that we're dealing with it is by using a robot and we're basically performing intra-abdominal um, components of the surgery. So we're using peritoneum, which is the inner lining of the abdomen to line most of the vaginal canal. And by doing that, that allows us to use all of the remaining tissue externally to create a vulva um, and try to make also an aesthetic result. Dr. Blair Peters uh, boasting about his work. And remember, he's talking about doing that on children, children like uh, Chloe Cole, who testified a few minutes. Uh, Sarah, respond to that. Then I have a, a, a legal question to ask you about that. Yeah, it's it's repulsive is what it is. Um, the fact, and, and for those who didn't actually see the hearing, uh, the video that they showed was of a pink-haired man um, who does describe himself as a queer surgeon. Uh, the fact that he identifies first as queer and then second as everything else indicates to me that his sexuality, his gender identity, what he does with his sex organs, who his sexual preference is for, drives the entirety of his life. This is why I have had such great disdain for the aggression of this movement. We identify ourselves, interestingly, as Christians, mothers, sisters, daughters, wives. I think about the way you and I, Sandy, might identify ourselves. This individual identifies himself first as queer. And that indicates to me exactly what his worldview is, where he is coming from, what he prioritizes. And he is saying in an open forum in front of a congressional hearing. Now, of course, this was clipped from a podcast he'd previously recorded. But in an open hearing, we hear this particular clip that indicates they're figuring it out as they go along. They're using parts of the body to create other phony parts of the body that have no functional use, but will give just vaguely enough the appearance of having changed someone's gender that 
they're actually just kind of kicking around some ideas and seeing what's worked. So this is nothing short, Sandy, of Joseph Mengele's experiments on the Jews during World War II in the concentration camps. It is absolutely horrid. It is horrific. And this is an individual who I believe is ultimately going to pay significantly, whether in the courts of judicial process or in the court of public opinion, this individual, I believe, will pay for what he's done to these minor children. Oh, it's funny that you should bring up Mengele, because that was actually my question. I, I, I feel the same way, Sarah. Mengele, of course, if, for those of you that don't know, was the chief uh, medical experimenter uh, on, uh, on the Jews, as Sarah just said, did horrible things. Like, they used their skin to make lampshades. They, they just did horrific things, even without anesthetic. They experimented to try to do different things on these uh, non-human persons known as Jews. And uh, I don't see any difference either. I don't. And is there, I know this is out of your expertise, but I just will, will ask, do you think that anything like this has come up before the court? Like the, 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 the boundaries on medical research on human beings, surely we must have some boundaries that should not be crossed that have been established. You know, these are questions. Questions of medicine and medical licensing are generally left to the states. This is why we saw when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, um, Justice Alito writing for the majority saying this is a, an issue that should have always been relegated to the people and its elected representatives. We want legislative bodies to debate this. We want people to elect those individuals, those representatives senators that represent their particular opinions. What we have not seen, however, is this level of aggressive experimentation basically painted with a pastiche of settled science. It is not settled science. We know it's not settled science. And we've heard congressional testimony about the fact that it is not settled science. In fact, it goes against everything that we might see in terms of treating individuals with comorbid mental health diagnoses, whether gender dysphoria, whether bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, or otherwise. You don't indulge the delusion of a schizophrenic. You don't withhold food from an anorexic. You do not create a phony sex organ from someone's stomach organ. That, to me, this is the height, I believe, of madness and the dissolution, not only of what we've seen in terms of God's perfect moral order, but the attacking of the self. And that is cultural Marxism at its peak. That is truly what the movement is seeking, the elimination of distinctions, not only between families and non-families, right versus left, the collective versus the individual, but now the self and the female versus the male. Once you eliminate those, we can throw everything into a collective identity that goes to something that is much more easy to manipulate. We've never seen a drive for collectivism as strong as we have under this presidential administration, and it argues for us to stay awake and to keep fighting. Well, and I think the point of all of this has been discouraging and upsetting, but the point is we are fighting. The House actually had a hearing on this. As we just said, the dangers of due process violations of gender-affirming care for children. They are busy doing this. They brought these uh, pe people up to testify. Sarah has written this article, The Constitution and Gender-Affirming Care Don't Mix. 
uh, for the Daily Signal. We'll make it available on our Sandy Reels 24-7 Facebook page. And remember, Heritage is really on the, the cutting edge of fighting back, and they're fighting smart, which I'm so grateful for. They're covering, they're not hiding behind one little part of this. They're covering the whole thing. They have a whole whole section of heritage working on this. Sarah is not that section. She's a senior legal fellow there, an expert in constitutional government. But um, I just hats off to them. And we have brave people like Chloe Cole and Paula Scanlon speaking up. And so we are doing something. And now it's, it's your chance, all of you listening. This is your chance to speak up to your friends, your neighbors. Do not hesitate to speak the truth. Don't be quiet when you need to speak out. So, um, Sarah Marshall Perry, it's a pleasure, really, really great pleasure to interview you this morning. And I thanks for thanks for bringing us this uh, good information. Thanks so much for having me. Oh wow, this is Sandy Rios with you. That wasn't that something. I mean that that's just gripping. That whole subject is gripping, and just the things that Sarah brought out. Uh, it actually gives me hope that the Supreme Court has uh, given us kind of a foundation that might give us a good result if a case makes it all the way makes itself all the way up to SCOTUS. So we, we hope that happens, and we hope that we still have the court we have uh, when it does uh, find itself at their doorstep. We have a brand-new sponsor just started this week. Brand-new sponsor. It's Christian Health Ministries. And you say, I hear about those ministries all the time. But I want you to know this is the very first one that was established in the United States. It has members in all 50 states all around the world, uh, they have assisted members with over $8 billion in medical bills. They are the first one. They're the real deal. It's a Christian ministry. Here's the cool thing, too, I think. Uh, you are not part of a network. You can go to your own doctor. You can go to the doctor if you're choosing, to the uh, hospital if you're choosing. You are not in a network where you have to see their doctors. I think that's uh, amazing. Uh, so op- open enrollment is coming up. And uh, it's if you're if you're in a situation where you're struggling or you don't like your medical care, or maybe it's expensive, if I were you, I would check this out. Go to ch, that's Christian Health, chministries.org, and tell them that Sandy sent you. Please do that. It's chministries.org, and tell them that Sandy sent you, and you can find out more about their care. I was really impressed when I met with them and talked with them. I'm excited about them supporting this show so uh, that's all you have to do. We'll tell you more about it, you know, as the weeks and months develop here. But it's chministries.org, and tell them Sandy sent you. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know you can call us at 662-821-2040, 662-821-2040, or you can write at sandy at afr.net. That's, you have to write an email, not a letter, but an email, sandy at afr.net. Uh, if you are a podcast aficionado, then you know how to listen. Uh, but some people don't. And so you can tell them to go to sandyrios.com, sandyrios.com. And that's a really simple way to find the podcast. Uh, our Facebook page is Sandy Rios 24-7. And things like Sarah's article will be posted there, um, you know, um, web addresses that were people that we share, that will be there. And also, of course, the show will be posted there, too, if that's easy for you. So my husband, Bruce, is going to join us in just a second. And when we come on the other side of the break, you're going to hear part two of a Chloe Cole's testimony. She's the young girl who went through full transition and so moving. 
what we played a few minutes ago about how she was 12 years old when they started, the, the authorities told her she needed to have hormones and, you know, her voice was lowered. It just testosterone, and now she's a girl again. But she, you heard her say she can't stand to look at herself in the mirror. It's just tragic. So after this break, we'll hear what she has to say, the second part of that, and then we'll talk to my husband, Bruce, about it. So stay tuned. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. I had a double mastectomy at 15. They tested my amputated breast for cancer. And I was cancer-free, of course. I was perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with my still-developing body or my breasts, other than that, as an insecure teenage girl. I felt awkward about it. After my breasts were taken away from me, the tissue was incinerated. Before I was able to legally drive, I had, part, I had a huge part of my future womanhood taken from me. I will never be able to breastfeed. I struggle to look at myself in the mirror at times. I, I, I still struggle to this day with sexual dysfunction. And I have massive scars across my chest. And the skin grafts that they use, that they took of my nipples, are weeping fluid today. And they were grafted into a more masculine positioning, they said. After surgery, my grades in school plummeted. Everything that I went through did nothing to address my underlying mental health issues that I had. And my doctors, with their theories on gender, thought that all my problems would go away as soon as I was surgically transformed into something that vaguely resembled a boy. Their theories were wrong. The drugs and surgeries changed my body, but they did not and could not change the basic reality that I am and forever will be a female. When my specialist first told my parents that they could have a dead daughter or a live transgender son, I wasn't suicidal. I was a happy child who struggled because she was different. However, at 16, after my surgery, I did become suicidal. I'm doing better now. But my parents almost got the dead daughter promised to them by my doctors. My doctors had almost created the very nightmare they said they were trying to avoid. So what message do I want to bring to American teenagers and their families? I didn't need to be lied to. I needed compassion. I needed to be loved. I needed to be given therapy to help me work through my issues, not affirm to my delusion that by transforming into a boy, it would solve all my problems. We need to stop telling 12-year-olds that they were born wrong that they are right to reject their own bodies and feel uncomfortable with their own skin. We need to stop telling children that puberty is an option, that they can choose what kind of puberty they will go through, just so they can choose what clothes to wear or what music to listen to. Puberty is a rite of passage to adulthood, not a disease to be mitigated. Today, I should be at home with my family celebrating my 19th birthday, and instead I'm making a desperate plea to my elected, re my elected representatives learn the lessons from other medical scandals like the opioid crisis, to recognize that doctors are human too, and sometimes they are wrong. My childhood was ruined along with thousands of detransitioners that I know through our networks. This needs to stop. You alone can stop it. Enough children have already been victimized by this barbaric pseudoscience. Please let me be your final warning. Wow. Chloe Cole. Oh, man, I, I have to say she was a very pretty girl in spite of all she's been through, and yet she hates the way she looks because they've altered her appearance. Um, this is a gut punch. Bruce, uh, my husband, the former FBI agent, you did, they didn't train you about this, did they, babe? 
No, <laughs> you know, Sandy, I used to work um, as a state's attorney before I went in the FBI, a prosecutor, and we worked um, abuse and neglect of children, uh, parents normally uh, burning their kids with cigarettes because oh. they wouldn't stop crying, uh, putting them in hot water and bathtubs because they wanted to punish them, uh, beating them, you name it, it was sickening. But I have to tell you that listening to Chloe, that's as sickening as any of those cases were. That, that a doctor can do that. You know, I pray that this issue goes up to the Supreme Court. And I hope it's decided the way Potter Stewart decided a case in 1964 about what is pornography. He said, you know how I'm going to decide this case? What is pornography? I know it when I see it. And to me, this is child abuse. And I know it when I see it. You know, to that point, Bruce, not all parents are just misled by doctors. There was a parent at that table testifying about how proud she was of her boy who's transitioned and how wonderful it is. Uh, and, and so we have parents, a lot of parents, you know, they, they persuade their children. It's like it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. It's astounding to me. So many parents treat their kids like hobby horses, like they, they're accessories. They want to show them off. And I'm sorry that we've devolved as a society in, in, in many groups to that we are proud to disfigure our children so that we're different and we can show how woke we are and how um, caring we are. That's not caring. That's not caring. No, it's caring about yourself and being able to boast about how you're a woke parent. I, it's disgusting. And, I, you know, God will set this right. He will. He will set this right. I remember that he destroyed the earth the first time because of the violence men did to each other. It was unbearable. He said all the thoughts of men were continually evil all the time. And I think that we're actually almost there. He will not stand for this. And so um, we know this can't go on forever. It just can't. But meanwhile, we fight. Meanwhile, we fight. Honey, thank you for, for those points. Those are excellent. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. And every day, they save 200 babies' lives, and that's because of you. If you go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy, you can sponsor an ultrasound and save a baby today. I also want to thank Christian Healthcare Ministries, our brand new sponsor. CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry. It's been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org. That's chministries.org. And tell them that Sandy sent you. Thanks for listening today. No, it was a tough one. Uh, this is something you could share with your friends uh, so that we can start a movement that stops this dead in its tracks. Thank you for listening to Sandy Rios 24-7.